Welcome to Jewish History with Rabbi David Katz, connecting the human side to Jewish history. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com. Hi, it's Tuesday, and um, I'm going to do a little more on the Seder. Uh, this is being thanks to the sponsorship of Gideon Miller in Texas, who is sponsored. He actually was listening to the Abraham last night because Gideon actually owns. <laughs> a fifteen forty five edition of the Barbanel Haggadah. I think the first edition of fifteen oh six, if I remember correctly, and the second fifteen forty five. He owns an original copy, and he showed me, sent me a picture. They they wrote out, they scratched out the parts where it says tribe of Benjamin, like I explained yesterday from the Barbanel, had to be in Golis, even though they're just wrong place, wrong time. Just screwed the wrong place, the wrong time because Benjamin do anything, didn't do anything involved with the Mechiras uh, Yosef, but you know Kimachin Mishul you know. Malkin being Sadal Garosha, that kind of art. And it's got to be a frummy who did it. It's not a, not a guy. I mean, it wasn't censored by the Catholic Church. Um, but rather, you know, some from guy who liked the Barbanel's work, but came to some part. I mean, I don't know, in the 1500s, 1600s, who knows who owned that particular Haggadah in the past? You know, there used to be a French novels in the 16th, in the 18th century. If only this chair could talk. You know, so I would say, if only this Haggadah could talk. You know, but he scratched, he, he uh, penciled through the parts about Vinyamin. <clears throat> so anyway, so Gideon is sponsoring today's talk um, for a friend. In other words, in honor of a friend um, who apparently just, oh, just defended his PhD, just got his doctorate. I remember when I had my committee have to do that. He did his defense. So it says sponsored, uh, it, it, this is in honor of Aaron Brown, sponsored by his friends in Houston. Aaron Brown is an engineer at NASA, just defended his thesis on orbit design for the space station. Who boy! He is someone who models uh, prioritizing family and Torah study while accomplishing great things. So look at that. Look at that. That's a big shot at NASA. Say so he's making his contribution to the United States of America, and he also apparently does stuff young or something like that. That's what we want. <clears throat> okay. Uh, speaking of classics, like I did yesterday at Barbanel. So one of the famous classics, which is revolving, as I said before, around the Glocus classic, is of his, as uh, uh, I think that's how it goes. So Hashem tells Avram long before it happened, that your children will be uh, will slaves in a foreign land, and... Uh, there are a lot of words with that, but I'm not going for a little words at this, at this second. Uh, and they'll torture them. And then, what do you call it? They'll go out and I'll punish the nation that did it. So, you have to think, this is a locus classicus of the Rambam, Hilchus Chuba, versus the Ravid. A classic Rambam versus Ravid. Um, and especially a sharp tongue Ravid, which are the juiciest. The Rambam in Hilchus Chuba, as I think many of you, I assume the elite readers of this podcast have gone through the Rambam's Hilchus Chuba once or twice in their life at least. You know, it's not unknown territory. And, you know, what he does is he collects from all over the Shas, things about repentance, 
But then in addition to that, he goes into theology, second half, goes into theology, you know, where he even talks about life after death and things like that, and ultimate questions of theodicy, you know, why do bad things happen to good people, and, you know, things like that, roughly speaking. And, you know, Bechir and Yedia and all that. And the Raven bites at his heels, you know, follows him around like a bulldog. You know, if he sees he something wrong, he, he bites him. So one of the things the Rambam is interested in is the uh, story of Yitzhak's rhyme from two angles, A and B. First of all, if God hardened the heart of Pharaoh, so what's the shot that he was punished? And second of all, why were the Egyptians Baklal punished if they were just fulfilling I mean, they're supposed to uh, enslave them and torture them. So what's the problem? You see? <clears throat> what is the problem? Now, the first one I'm not going to go through, I think that's one that I believe everybody's heard, which is, and the Rambam says, the hardening of the heart itself was the punishment. Okay? That, you know, uh, in the beginning, Paro had a Bechira, but then, uh, what do you call it? He was punished by sort of depriving him of his Bechira. That's a dumb way of saying it. But, you know, of uh, I like better the Derech HaShulchan's way, which is that he gets put into his mind to remain stubborn, that if he holds out until the month of Nisan, which is the Kled, the Mazel of Egypt, then he'll eventually triumph. And that's what made Pharaoh stubborn and wouldn't listen to his advisors and all that, even though the country was going in a train wreck. I think I, I'm sure I spoke about this in the past. So if this is this time of the year and you're interested, what I'm saying, you probably look at the old podcast from last year, two years ago, around the Seder time. It's a classic board, so I don't want to go into it again. Um, but you should go and, and listen there. However, in general, the question is, if someone is sent by God to punish anyone, why should that person himself be, be punished for doing it? And so, here in Perkvav, you know, the Rambam is discussing all this at great length, and he, in the middle, goes this way and says, This is, I'm reading you from the Rambam himself, in Hilchus Chubim Perkvav. That God said to Abraham, He already decreed in the future, before Pharaoh was born, that the Egyptians were going to do bad to the Jews. And he has another passage where Moshe says they'll go after Derech. So why were they punished? And the Rambam gives the following answer. So what does that mean? There's such a thing, and this is just general. They're like the bro- It's a little hard to hear, but I'm telling you what the Rambam says. It's not me talking as the Rambam. That God's providence, I suppose, operates in funny ways. And it's like a general one and an individual one. So you can say, for example, that whoever is going to be in this country is going to be in a wartime. But it doesn't mean that this person himself specifically has to be destined to be in the battle zone. You understand? Chaim Yankel was, was decreed that he should live in the Ukraine in phase 2022. But it doesn't necessarily... And it was decreed by God that the Ukraine should have a war. But it's not decreed necessarily that Chaim Yankel himself 
should act in some way or be in some some kind of situation. Now I have to watch what I'm saying because the truth of the matter is, it is decreed that Chaim Yaakov will be in one place at the wrong time at a certain time. But now, not how he reacts to that uh, situation. So will Chaim Yaakov be good or bad? That is left up to the Bechira. Um It reminds us that when we talk about Bechira, even though we use it in very broad terms and we insist on absolute Bechira, but really that's baloney. Your Bechira is really circumscribed um, by the forces and circumstances of your life. You understand? Uh, to be perfectly honest, a person who's starving, you can't blame him from stealing a piece of bread. If his mom is starving and nobody will give him anything, what's he supposed to do? Die? What's he supposed to do? So, nevertheless, if we look back at Mitzrayim, the Rambam argues that it was indeed decreed that the Hebrews would end up as slaves in Egypt and suffer there. So there would be taskmasters and backbreaking labor and uh, the bricks and, and, you know, all that stuff. Okay? The Tevin and Kosh and the whole nine yards. Uh, that is true. However, that was, he says, a broad national civilizational kind of decree. The Egyptians as a group would enslave the Jews. But it wasn't decreed, the Ramam argues, that every single specific individual Egyptian would participate in that. Okay? And specifically in the Inui. So, what it's coming down to, to use modern terms, it is a fact, strange as it seems, that there were a few, I mean very, very few, but there were a few good guards in Auschwitz, in Dachau. There were a few, I mean a very few, good Ukrainians out there, you know, in the concentration guards. 99% were Mamzerim Shen Kamo. They took babies and bashed their head against the wall. They were sadists and all that. Of course, we know all that, and that's perfectly true. But there were Yechidim. Uh, my father had one or two at one point in Dachau, he told me. I've heard other stories. A number of years ago, I wrote a story in uh, Karen's magazine about uh, Shimon Seder. There was a guy I knew in town, Ruski. He's gone already. And he used to be in an old shul that was around once long ago. And I ran into him in, in, in Sebmal Market. To make a long story short, he had quite a story, which I wrote up. He was from Kishinev, and then in the Second World War, he ran through whole adventures and ended up in a Soviet paratroop uh, brigade. And they parachuted, parachuted behind the German lines. But they screwed up. Happened a lot. Like Putin's soldiers now are screwing up. And they were captured by the Germans. And then they were taking POWs to a certain place. And they had to go like a checkup, which included what they call controlling, controlling, that is to say, everybody had to pull their pants down see if they're circumcised. This guy was actually a nephew of Rabbi, what's his name, of um, the big rabbi there in Kishinev, uh, Zerilson, great nephew. And, I mean, he's a Jew, he's circumcised. It so happened, I mean, so he's toast. But the German doctor who was conducting examinations, he was the only Jew in his parachute group. They were all like uh, Romanians and Russians. That's what it was. Bessarabians. Moldovans, they call it nowadays. So, the long and the short of it is that the German doctor saw him. It's like, he's been Catholic. I'm a Catholic. So, I'm going to pretend like I didn't see this. Now, go and hide yourself. Hide this thing about you. And that's how he lived. Now, what does that mean? 
The guy was a German. He was in the damn German army and the Nazi army and so forth and so on. But he came to a certain place and it was a Bechira situation and he did the noble thing. He didn't kill the Jewish guy. Obviously, you know, he didn't agree with, with just killing everybody just because they're Jewish. So what does that mean? He was in the, you know, uh, a bad situation. He was in a killing machine. But he personally had a Bechira moment. Maybe he had more than one. I'm only telling the one that I know about. And in that Bechira moment, he made the, the, the Bechira to be good. That doesn't make him a tzaddik. But it means at that particular moment, he made the Bechira to be good. You understand? And I'll tell you again, I know it's extremely rare, extremely, extremely rare. You found the good Lithuanian, the good Ukrainian, the good this and the good that. You know, even the good German, like I just mentioned. And you'll ask me a question, how come to be a good guard in the concentration camp? The home it sees at a concentration camp is a monstrosity. That is true. That is true. Alpha became such things happen. You know, if you read all the stories, you'll find here and there, 99% of the time was bad, but 1% of the time was good. People were good. And that's what the Rambam means. For this crowd, for this doctor who didn't give him away, by the way, the story's a good story. He, they were all taken into a barracks, uh, you know, a POW barracks or something like this. And then some of the guys in the barracks, the uh, Bessarabian Mamzers, they said, let's kill the Jew. And they even told the guard or something like that, one of them is Jewish. And the guard said something like, you know what to do with him. And they were arguing over what to do with this guy. And it was Pesach, by the way. And what to this guy? By the time it's all over, the guy who wanted to kill him, they shechted that guy. Now there's the other guy who shechted the guy, and they threw his body out to the guard and said, we, we just killed the Jew. Isn't that something? Now that didn't happen too often, okay? But it happened to this guy, that's how he survived the war. Um, that, that was his Pesach Seder. So, it could happen. So the Rambam says like this, any Egyptian that was punished, or whatever, uh, I won't say any Egyptian, the fact that Egypt was punished was because each individual Egyptian made the choice to participate. Uh, whether it was as a taskmaster directly or a cog in the machine or something like that. Each individual Egyptian himself would have had a choice not to participate in the Vavod and Vinu or something. They weren't forced by Paro. He didn't go around from Egyptian family to Egyptian family and say you have to participate. Like you read in these mafia movies and stuff, you know, you have to be blooded, you know, you have to be a member of the bad guys. Uh, Hitler Taka operated like that politically, but I'm talking about in Egypt. So since it wasn't like that, every individual Egyptian had his or her personal choice and they had their Bechira. So again, God didn't decree to Abraham that this and this Egyptian, you know, Ramses Schwartz, or Tutankhamun uh, Khan should be a bad guy and do something bad to the Jews. Any one of these bad guys who acted bad, who acted bad, had he not wanted to participate, he wouldn't have. Hashem was simply saying that I'm telling you that I'm going to send him to a country a bunch of moms there over there, and they'll torture him bad, and they'll and they'll love it. I'm not telling them they, they have to do it, but they'll love it. Okay. What is this like? The Ramam says, "Suppose 
right? Suppose it says, this nation will have good people and bad people. So the Russia can't say, well, he said there'd be bad people, so that's my excuse. I'm one of the bad people. No, you could have joined the good people. That's why Moshe says there'll be Jews and all that. Okay? Actually, I'm good at having the kudos up here. Not Mitzrim, but Mitzrim. It's a nice play in words. Any of these people who personally did bad to the Jews gave them an extra kick. If that individual Egyptian guy, male or female, didn't want to participate, Hashem didn't say, I'm telling you that Plony is going to wake up in the morning and get a gun and go down to the subway and shoot people. That's not what Hashem decreed. All Hashem says is that your people, your descendants, Abraham, will end up in Erzololahem. And some, and I'm telling you, there will be bad people down there. You hear what I just said? I'm telling you, Abraham, there will be bad people in Egypt. Um, maybe not every Egyptian, and maybe it was every Egyptian, but they, every Egyptian personally didn't have to do it. There will be this kind the some, that your children, your descendants will end up in Egypt and suffer. And it may indeed be, for all I know, then each and every Egyptian participated and had a grand old time. But they didn't have to. It could have been, for example, that Lamashal, that half the Egyptians participated in the uh, tortures and in the oppression, and half the Egyptians did not. So whoever ended up doing so can't say, I was just uh, carrying out what was already decreed. So it was never decreed upon me individually, as an individual, that I should be one of the people participating in the bad moral action. That is how the Rambam understands um, I'll, punish the, I'll punish the people who torture them because no single member, each and every individual Egyptian will not be able to say I was fulfilling what God said because each and every individual Egyptian had the choice if they wish to not to participate in the tortures of the Jews. That's a theological way of looking at it and it's a very interesting spin uh, because we do talk about uh, the good Egyptians, the bad Egyptians, in the sense of the ones who take their um, cattle in from the hailstones and whatever, whatever. But they weren't good in the nice sense of being goody-goody. They were just, they believed the prophecy that Moshe said that a plague is coming. So that's something different. You know, it's Sadiq. If you believe a mock is coming, especially after this guy Moses had a track record, that, you know, everything he said came true. So naturally, it's just prudent if I predict the three uh, hurricanes, then if I say the fourth hurricane and you believe me, it's not because, you know, you're such a this, it's because I got a track record. So that is the story with uh, how the uh, Rambam understands, wants to explain, in terms that we can understand, the story of um, of the Shiba B'Mitzrayim and the punishment of the Egyptians. Now, I think uh, you might tell me, the Rambam concludes, still Individually, it was predestined that me, David Cat, should not be, you know, uh, Pharaoh, uh, Ramses Katz, should not be one of the participants. That's already a Deva Chiro. A person can't understand God's foreknowledge of the future because there's no time for God, meaning he doesn't exist in time. He created time, 
and you get in that theological business that he talks about everywhere, Yedi and Bechira. Now, to tell you the truth, if that's true, you've got to save yourself the whole conversation, Maimonides, because that's what it boils down to, was each and every individual personally destined to uh, to participate in the massacres, in the tortures. But the Rambam says on an individual level, that's a, that's a Yedi and Bechira vort. On the national level, where it says, national level doesn't necessarily, doesn't necessarily apply to individuals. I hope I made myself clear. And this is all in the Rambam in the Perikvav, at the end of Perikvav and Hachachua. The arrived, as usual, attacks him hip and thigh. Amr Avram, Elohim Arichas Dvarim Shinamitavolim. This is a bunch of lengthy words which taste bad. In other words, and truth is, I think they're stupid. Divinaris. So that's pretty stark lotion. Kimat. I almost am willing to say, shame divinaris. They're stupid. You think God says to the sinners, why did you sin? I didn't name you specifically. So you can't have an excuse to say that I was, um, um, what do you call it? The one who was who was uh, destined over here, you know, to sin. So I'm going to skip a few lines to get to the to the, to the chase. The Indian Hamitzrim, how would we explain the Rivid now, not the Rambam, the Rivid. How we explain the Mitzrim? Because he doesn't like the whole approach of the Rambam. By the way, back there where he talked about Yedin Mechira, it's famous, the Rivid also criticized me. He said, what do you bring the whole thing up, you know, uh, in what do you call it? Uh, what do you bring the whole thing up if you don't have a good answer? See, raise the question of and then you end up saying we don't know. The Rambam, you know, approaches the question of theodicy of good and evil, or better yet, and then he says we just have to believe. If you have to believe, then shut up and just say you have to believe. Why do you bring the whole philosophy in, in the first place? You know, but anyway, whatever the case is, I want to uh, uh, call attention here for Pesach. So how does the Raven understand the story that happened with the Mitzrim? The Mitzrim who participated in the torturing of the Jews, all the rest of it, were Rishayim, and they deserved everything they got. Now listen, why? But not because, and I think this is Gvaldi, not because of the prophecy of Avon of Inamosam, but rather, right? So this is great. The, the, the Rivas is like this. And by the way, it's a very common sense way of reading the story. It's actually Kavaldi. Listen to this. What happened? The Jews went in Egypt and eventually were enslaved. And then they were suffering for uh, so and so many years. That's 86 years. And it was terrible. And they did this and they did that. Oh, it's terrible, terrible. Fine. And then this guy Moses shows up, right? And he basically says, I guess, Kor Ma'ashem, Shalachimi V'Avduni. At this point, I'm paraphrasing. At this point, according to the Ravid, at this point, Moshe should have, was basically saying the following to Pharaoh. 
Look, you've been enslaving these people for decades, and nothing has happened to you. Egypt has not suffered. You know why? Because you're simply carrying out Vavon of Enosom. Fine. Well, I was just sent by God to tell you the time's up. So the fun's over, guys. And Pharaoh at that point should have said, I guess, what a bummer. We were having a lot of fun torturing these Jews. After all, Hashem said to do it. So, uh, but I guess, I guess the fun's over. And guys, let the Jews go. Hashem said, Vavon Enosom. We did it. But now Hashem said, time's up. Okay, we're listening, and we're letting go. If that would have happened, nothing would have happened to Egypt. Because Enochanami could have indeed said, all we're doing is fulfilling the Brits of Asarim. The story, though, you and I, you and I know, the story doesn't go like that. The story goes like this. At that point, Pharaoh said, hit the road. Mi Hashem asher Eshma v'kolo, lo yedatis Hashem, v'gamas b'no or whatever the language is. In other words, when he was confronted with the messenger of God, Pharaoh chose to uh, be a jerk and deny and say, I ain't giving in. All the, oh, from that moment onwards starts the ten plagues. You get it? From that moment onwards starts all the junk in Egypt. The country gets torn to bits by the plagues. The economy crashes. The whole country goes to the, to the devil, and, and that's it. Isn't that a good in, in, uh, insight? The language is, Boy, they could have saved themselves trouble. They'd get no, no uh, plagues, and they wouldn't have been drowned in the Red Sea. The stupid arrogance of Pharaoh. When he shot his mouth off and said, Oh boy, you just bought Mofter. <laughs> right? That's the game you want to play? No problem. No problem. Okay. You want to do like that? They're going to leave anyway. This time, I'm going to have the fun. Here we go. Dumps for a day. I can't have been so on and so forth. And you know how it goes. God will harden your heart, and you're going to go down the tubes. So the sin of Egypt and Pharaoh that caused their um, destruction was their refusal to listen when they had a chance from day one. So this puts a whole spin on the story at the end of Parshish Breshis when Hashem says the power in the first place, let him go. Because the way the Ravid understands it, everybody knew about the prophecy of the Brisbane of Sarum, and everybody knew about Vodavino Osam, and the Egyptians basically had was a free ride. They got to, they got to torture the Jews and say sincerely that they were fulfilling a prophecy. But if you're fulfilling a prophecy, then when God says the, the game's over, then you have to let them get the game's over. As soon as he said, I don't care what you say, I'm, I'm keeping them anyway. Then they bought Mafter. Okay? Mafter Yoram. So that's one way the Ravid answers it. And I think it's Kavaldic. Usually, as far as I'm aware, this answer is usually not given the name of the Ravid. Rather, the second answer is, which is more famous, and the Ramban also used it. Uh, Professor Salvechik said that a lot of the Ramban stuff is he takes from the Ravid anyway. And um, uh, and this is more theological. I like the first shot myself. For the Seder, that's a home run. Because, I'll tell you again, Paro would have had a half a sense when Moshe and Aaron showed up and said, B'ni b'chari Yisrael, shalachami v'yavduni. Paro says, I guess, okay, you know, we had nine innings, it was a fun game, we got to torture our share of Jews, backbreaking lever, and now the game's over, and you can leave the country, and you have no tainas in us, because whatever we did to you was makayim b'avadamin osam. And I'll repeat, all during those 80 years, nothing bad happened to Egypt, nothing.
this trouble happened after Moshe shows up at the end of Parshas Breshis and beginning of Bavoyera, then the, then the fun starts. The Hasheni and the second answer that Ravid gives, Kiabori Omar All Hashem says, I don't like the second answer so much, but it's very often quoted. Affliction means you hurt them, you don't kill them. They gave him backbreaking labor. We always translate this before backbreaking labor. It means backbreaking labor. I tell you again, my father, Oshon, was, was uh, for a while in Lithuania, was a slave. That's what he was a slave laborer under the Germans to build an airport in 42, I think. And he said they gave people stuff to schlep. And it broke their back. It killed them. You know, suppose I give you a 10,000 thing to carry or whatever. I don't know, you know. You can't do it. It kills you. And the Germans thought they are having fun. They misa mayhem. And they killed them with this backbreaking joke. But tova mayhem. And as we all know, they drowned the babies in the river and so forth. That's beyond vavonavinu or so. The Ramban is a little more eloquent on this. If you look at the Ramban in the Chumash, he says, you know, drowning babies in the river is not the inu or some. But it's all the same kind of taina. That there's a pasuk which says, "I got angry at them a little bit, but they went vayker." So, I'll be perfectly honest. To me, the second half of the rabbit sounds like an add-on that somebody wrote. It doesn't sound like the language of the rabbit, but I could be wrong. That's just a guess on my part. But the first one is Gavaldic, because he points. At it's Gavaldi because he points to something that we don't notice in the story, which was that for decades they were torturing them. And so on and so forth. Right? We know all that. And nothing bad happened to Egypt. And only now at this particular point, when Moshe shows up, does you know the kitchen sink fall on Pharaoh. All this stuff. The kitchen sink falls on Pharaoh. The kitchen sink falls in Egypt. And they get crushed to bits. They went through the devil. Uh, because at that time, you know, it was already over. And it's no more Vavonavino or something. That was the message of Moshe. That we're Mekayim, the, the business. Vavonavino or something. And obviously the rival isn't an Ahren who wants to say, well, why didn't Pyro say, eh, according to my Cheshman, Vavonavino, 400 years is not over. Since Moshe was the messenger of God, he should have listened to him uh, in the first place. So these are two of the classic approaches. Three, actually. I mean, you know, but I like the Ravid's first shot. The two classic approaches um, to the question of why was it that if the Egyptians were just fulfilling the Brisbane of Islam, they eventually suffered so much and got punished and all the rest of it. You can do the Rambam way, which is certainly true. And as I said before, the concentration camp guard had his moral choices. You understand? And there were times, you know, when conditions permitted, he could have looked the other way, or he chose to be a sadist, or or vice versa. And that's every individual has moments of moral choices. You know, Yedia and Bechira, I mean, in other words, you, you can choose the good or the bad, the right thing to do, or the wrong thing to do. And that's why all the Egyptians, let's put it this way, so it sounds like all the Egyptians did bad because there's no record that I know of of any good Egyptian guards. Because I'll don't say it. So that means the whole country was bad. The whole country was bad. The whole country didn't have to be bad. They just chose to be bad, each individual. And derive it says it derive its way. So anyway, I just wanted to share that.
uh, a lot more of these, but uh, that's enough for now. I want to thank Gideon again and congratulate Aaron Brown on his uh, defense down there in Texas. And uh, with that, I wish you a good evening. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidovidkatz.com.